Hello and welcome back. My name is Professor Christopher Janeri, and this is Hebrew Civilization in History 101. So we've done geography, and we've done a little bit of Canaanite culture. Now we have the big one, religion. The thing that makes the Hebrews the most important historically is not their economics. It's not their awesome uh, city. It's the fact that they invent the concept of monotheism. Or at least become the most successful people who use monotheism. And so we have to talk about religion. So, let's talk about this. We talked about already when we did nomads and we did settled peoples. Everybody's a polytheist. Polytheism. P-O-L-Y. T-H-E-I-S-M, polytheism, which means you have many gods who control the, a separate aspect of nature. You have a rain god, you have a sun god, you have a sea god. You have many gods that control the aspect of nature. And they provide protection. The war god provides protection from other enemies. The rain god provides protection from drought and floods. They provide protection in exchange for sacrifice. You give to them, they give to you. Very simple. It's not, well, it's really not simple, but it, it makes sense. It's, 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 it's a very human relation. I give to you, you give to me. So you're more powerful than me, you provide protection, and I give you something you want. Okay. And everybody does this. Even the Hebrews before they're Hebrews do this. Because Abraham is a polytheist. So everybody does this. No one popped out and said, ah, there's only one. Uh -uh. Everybody's this. And then there's a process. The Hebrews go through a process. And that process goes from polytheism. There are multiple gods that control an aspect of nature. To what's called monolatry. M-O-N-O-L-A. T-R-Y. Where you have a right God, but others exist. This is, this is, now I'm not an Egyptologist, but this is where I would think Amenhotep is. There's the idea that Amenhotep is this, is this uh, he starts to say, oh, the, the sun god is the super god. He's better than all the other gods. He's the one god we should all worship him. And for 18 years, that's what they, that's what Egypt, quote unquote Egypt did because the Pharaoh did it. Um, that's this process going from polytheism to, that's not monotheism. That's monolatry. There are other gods out there. And we know there are other gods out there because the moment Amenhotep died, the people said, yeah, that was crazy. Let's go back to polytheism. Let's bring back all the other gods because, you know, we like them. So it didn't make any difference. And yet, textbooks are obsessed with this one, one guy, one, one pharaoh. So, monolatry, M-O-N-O-L-A-T-R-Y, is the right God, but others exist. This is Moses, this is Joshua, this is much of Chronicles in the, in the Old Testament. And you know this, you, 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 it's in your bones. Why? Because that's what the Ten Commandments are. Ten Commandments start. Number one is, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, other than me. Depending on your translation. Now, think about that sentence. Thou shalt have no other gods. What does that admit? It says it right there. There are other gods. Because if there aren't any other gods, you don't have to say don't have another god. It doesn't make any sense. Islam does that. Islam, the first pillar of Islam is there is one god. Muhammad. Excuse me. There is one god, Allah. Muhammad is the prophet. One god. It doesn't say Allah is the coolest god of Allah. No, it says there is one god, Allah. And just to make sure you don't think Muhammad might be kind of godlike, Muhammad is a prophet. Consider that the, the Christian accept the Christian asterisk. 
They just put it right in. Because remember, in Islam, Jesus is important, but he's not the Christ. Jesus is a prophet. So only one God, so you have the right God, but others exist. So while the Hebrews of Abraham, of Moses, have a, have a super powerful God, the Egyptian gods exist. They matter. The Babylonian gods exist. They might be wrong. They might be weaker, but they exist. And in fact, this is what the prophets are going to have huge problems with because they keep going to blame different um, kings, different peoples for building other temples, for having other gods. Right? And then it gets gets to Jesus being metaphorical when he goes to the temple and there's the money changers. And they're like, ah, oh, you put money, this is your God, and you put money before. And so Jesus will get metaphorical. But Moses and Joshua, they, they know there are other gods out there. They just think they have the right one. Abraham, for example, thinks, he goes, he knows there's other gods out there. And when, when Yahweh comes to him and says, hey, want to worship me? Abraham's like, well, right, sure, I mean, there are other gods. And as time goes on, he's like, uh, you know, well, I could flirt with these other gods. I could, well, you know, well, you know. So, monolatry. This we have the right God, but others do exist. And then there's monotheism. M-O-N-O-T-H-E-I-S-M. Only one God exists, and this God controls everything, and every other God is a piece of your imagination. They don't exist. In fact, Christians go even farther, and they take all those old gods, and they make them into devils. Like, the name of the devil is Bel and Mistopheles and all. He has all these names. Lots of those names are old polytheistic god names. Like Bel is the most powerful god in um, the Phoenician culture. Bel, Baal. The blood god of the Phoenicians. Right? He becomes a devil. And so, monotheism is only one God exists, and this God controls everything. And this is the prophets. This, this is Ezekiel and Isaiah. These are what the prophets are going to hammer home. And this is what the culture is going to be after 725 and 586, the disasters, the political disasters. And so now let's talk about monotheism. So monotheism, what is monotheism? Monotheism is a transcendental God. This God is not human. Doesn't have a human body. Doesn't have a human form. Doesn't have human wants or desires. Is not human. Is a transcendental God. Now, that's very different. That's a completely mind-blowing difference from polytheism. This is the biggest difference with polytheism. Most people go, oh, polytheism has one god, and monotheism has many gods. No, no, or the other way around, polytheism has many gods, and monotheism has one god. No, 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 it's not, the, it's not the, the number that matters. It's the nature. It's the concept. I am going to, uh, I am going to fall into, in this lecture, he capital H-E, and that's wrong. And I know the patriarchy says, no, well, what else is he? Well, he's not a he. Jehovah is not a man. Jehovah is a being, a transcendental being you cannot comprehend. We paint him as a guy. But if Jehovah wants to be a dog, he's a dog. If he wants to be a he, he's a he. If he wants to be a she, she she's a she. It could be whatever. It could be a whole planet. This God can be whatever 
as God wants to be. It's not human. Polytheistic gods are human, with human desires, human attitudes, and hang out with humans. Zeus has sex with lots of women. Apollo fights, literally fights, in the battles outside of Troy. So does Aphrodite. She throws on some armor, takes up her spear, and goes and kills some humans. Now, this God will interact with people. And we're going to talk about Job. But this God interacts with people, but is also very clearly not human. He's not a person. In fact, this God is better than people. It's, this God is more moral than people. Sex? Does this God have sex? No. This God is alone in the universe. This God has no companion. This God is not married. This God is a celibate God. Christianity, from its very beginning, has issues with sex because it's, it's trying to separate itself out from the Roman world. And they point to God and go, God doesn't have sex. This is the idea that Jesus was never married because Jesus is God. How can he have sex? Sex is dirty. Sex is wrong. Sex is gross. Sex is carnal. Sex is mortal. You don't have sex in heaven. There's no sex in heaven. Why? Because hanging out with God is pleasure enough. It's the greatest pleasure you can ever have. The only reason to have sex is to have children. And God doesn't have children. So he doesn't need to have sex. So you should stop doing it. Stop it. Just stop it. But that's the attitude of Christianity. Judaism is a little different. Be fruitful and multiply and... It's, it's, it's different. But Christianity is anti-sex. Priests in the Christian church don't have sex, are not supposed to have sex. It's a sin to have sex. Dante's Inferno has like two or three le levels of just sex crimes, of just people who gave into lust, and there's like three levels. So... This God is more moral than you are. Does this God do, do, do drugs? No. No. This God doesn't do good. This God doesn't get high. And you may laugh, but the Greek gods did. They had ambrosia. The Indian gods have soma. Everybody's got wine. The idea that you are not a God and not drinking a lake of wine? Give me a freaking break. What's the point of being a God if you can't enjoy yourself? Mind-altering drugs are part of it, whether it's caffeine or, or something that knocks you on your ass, gives you, gives you a hallucinogenic experience. People have been doing drugs as long as people have eat, been eating stuff that got them high. Because they ate it, drank it, smoking comes later, and they go, Woo! Whoa! Get a load of this. And someone else says, oh, all right, I'll try to get a load of that. This God doesn't do that. This God doesn't have sex. This God doesn't do drugs. This God is more powerful. How powerful? All powerful. Omnipotent. O-M-N-I-P-O-T-E-N-T. O-M-N-I-P-O-T-E-N-T. Omnipotent. This God has more knowledge. Omniscient. O-M-N-I-S-C-I-E-N-T. Omniscient. More knowledgeable than anybody else. So this God knows everything and can do anything. And 
and when we mean anything, we mean anything. So there's a nice little philosophical joke, which is, hey, 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 is God so powerful he can make a rock even he couldn't pick up? <laughs> because see, if he can't make a rock, he, he can't. If he can make a rock, he can't pick up. He can't do everything. But if he can't make that rock that he can't pick up, he can't do everything. <laughs> and you know what the answer is? Yeah. He could pick, make a rock that he even he can't pick up. And you know what he does next? Picks up a freaking rock. Because this God can do everything. He can make a rock that goes, well, I, even I can't pick that up. And he just picks it up. Because this God can do everything. So what does this mean? It means that this God is not knowable and not understandable. Unlike the polytheistic gods that you can negotiate with, you can hang out with. You can join. Hercules joins the gods. These gods are not knowable and they are not understandable. And we see that conflict constantly in your Old Testament. Adam and Eve, Cain, the old patriarchs are constantly running into the problem of thinking they can they know this god and not knowing who this god is now there is an argument to be made that god does the same thing that yahweh does the same thing yahweh makes humans and then doesn't understand humans at all which is kind of interesting and there is um many many a theologian theolo theological argument that god is in a process of trying to learn how to deal with people. From Adam and Eve to Noah, where he wipes out everybody except Noah and his kids. I mean, he wipes out everybody on earth. He's like, oh, F this, man. I'm starting over. Right? I, obviously, I screwed up. I made people, and this is just a mess. So let's start all over. I mean, you don't need to start all over if you did it right the first time. So there's a, there's there's... There is an argument that this God is not perfect, especially in the Old Testament. Christians, they'll make him perfect, and he's perfect, and he's, and he's, a, he's a platonic super God. He's a perfect form of a God. That's Augustine. The Hebrews have a different God. Now, we should talk about that in a moment. But the Hebrews have a different understanding of this God. This God is not perfect. This God Fs up. This God feels bad about doing bad stuff. This God wipes out people because they complain about him. This God kills people who try to just stop the, the, the Ark of the Covenant from falling over into the ground. They're like, oh my God, the Ark of the Covenant is going to fall. It's going to fall off the cart. It's going to break. It's going to fall into the ground. We've got to stop that. Here, I'll grab it. Boop, dead. Because how dare you get close to God? But that's the idea. You're like, wait a minute. He's doing something good and you kill him? What the hell is that? This is not... The Noah story is perfect, the perfect example. He wipes out all of creation and then feels bad about it. Well, you don't feel bad about it. You don't promise to never do it again if it's something you don't feel bad about. He goes to Noah and says, look... Noah, I'm never going to do this again. Well, you, what have you ever done that you said, I am never doing that again, and it was a good thing? No, it's the bad things that you did, and you went, oh, that was bad. I'm never doing that again. I promise. Hand on heart, never to do it again. Now you could go, well, you don't understand, you don't really know what God wants and all that. Uh, he feels bad. Very simple. It's not hard to understand. No, this God is not noble in his ways, but he's still a God. He still has a relationship with people. He feels bad. And he should feel bad. He just murdered millions of people. Now, if you're like, well, they were all bad, but Noah, I mean, come on, really? 
because he also murdered three-year-olds. He drowned every animal. What did a duck do to you? What did a gopher do that was so evil? Like, go that next step. Think about it rationally. The day before the flood begins, there's a baby born. What did that baby do to deserve being drowned? In a 40-day flood. The point is, is that it doesn't matter. They didn't do anything. And that's why God feels bad about it. He's like, I created all of this. And it's a mess. And I'm not happy with it. And then I got mad. And I wiped it all out. And that was wrong too. The Christian God is different. Just understand the Christian God is different. There's a process to this. So, we have this God is a transcendental God who is not human, is better than people, smarter than people, more powerful than people, more moral than people. And this God is mostly not knowable or understandable. This God does things on a different level. So what does this God control? This God controls everything. So what does this God care about? This God cares about everything. So what does this God do about that? Since this God cares about everything and controls everything, he makes rules about everything. There are 611 commandments in the Bible. You people stopped at 10. There's way more than that. In fact, the first commandment isn't the first commandment because the first commandment is be fruitful and multiply. The first thing God says to people, and that's an order. Well, the first one is don't eat the freaking thing, but all right, we had to start over because they didn't follow that one. So the first one that they have to do when they go out of Eden, is be fruitful and multiply. Do good work. Be successful. Use the earth. And make more of you. Like, there are rules way before we get to the Ten Commandments. They didn't say the first commandments. They said the Ten Commandments. There are other commandments. Like, there are multiple ones about hair. How do you wear your hair? Hey, never cut your hair. Well, there's another rule about how you should cut your hair. So they are not consistent either. There are 40 rules about sex. 40. Who you can have sex with. When. How. There's 40 rules. Including ones you wouldn't think you needed. Like a son shall not lay with his mother. Like, wait, 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 what? Sons shouldn't have sex with their moms? Like, you need a rule about that? What are ancient Hebrews doing that they need a rule that says don't have sex with your mom? Isn't that assumed? That you have to make a rule about it means you got a problem. Um, there are 40 rules about food. What you can eat. What you can't eat, when you can eat it, when you shouldn't eat it. There's rules about debt. About not having debt, about forgiving loans. There are two rules about not changing the rules. Why? Because they're God's rules. God doesn't mess up. God doesn't make stupid rules. So you can't change them. You are not as smart as God is. God made the rule, you can't change it. Boom. Now there's a problem with that. There's a massive, huge problem with that. So the rules don't change. And that's okay. That's that's the Mesopotamian concept. There are 282 rules in the Code of Hammurabi. A thousand years later, there are still 282 rules. Those rules. Ancient law did not have a concept for precedent. Did not have a concept of a living law. The Romans don't do that. The Romans are famous for their legal system. They just added more laws. So that by the time you got to Justinian in the 500s, there are millions of laws. 
that most people don't follow. And they, he had to bring a, a giant weed whacker and edit the hell out of the laws and invent the concept of precedence and the living law to do so. So this is, this is not the Hebrews being weird. There's lots of things the Hebrews are weird about. This is a typical Mesopotamian thing. You make the rules, you write them in stone, and they don't change. The problem with that is people change. People change. As society moves on, generation after generation, people change. Technology changes. I'll give you slowly, but it does. It changes. And people change. But if the rules don't change, as people change, they are getting farther and farther and farther away from the rules. They're still good people. Here, here's a, here's a perfect example. Don't wear clothes of multiple fabrics. You all do this. Polyester blends, rayon, if you're wearing yoga pants, you all do this. There's totally a rule against that, and you do it anyway. Why? Because you live in the modern world. People did it then, too. Wool and cotton, and you roll it together. Yeah, there's a rule against it. You can't be an American teenager and not break the Ten Commandments. You just can't. One, rule four, honor thy mother and their father. That means not only like them, but you're supposed to do everything they say. And really, mother and father just means old people. Because grandparents count too. Uncles and aunts count too in the mother and father thing. It means someone who is above you. You were supposed to do whatever they say. And you don't do that. You broke your curfew. You bummed the smoke. You played Minecraft after you were supposed to go to bed. You did this stuff. You didn't honor your mother and father. You listened to them when they had something you were like, okay, I'll follow that. And then the moment they didn't have a rule that you had, a, you felt applied to you, you said, uh, yeah, okay. Sure. Sure, Mom, I'll stop sniffing glue. Right. Hmm. So you can't be an American teenager without breaking the Ten Commandments. You can't bring an American without breaking the Ten Commandments because there's two covets, and covet means do not desire. Covet means a desire. So these are rules about desiring, to think about. So what they're saying is don't even think about thinking about desiring your friend's PlayStation or your buddy's girlfriend. Don't even think about it. Yet, if you ever went, oh, if you watched television and an advertisement came out and you said, ooh, I like that, whether it's a drug to make you happier in a variety of different ways that they are not very sure about, very clear about, but it's like, your life would be happier with this pill. And then they have old people, like, hugging. Like, okay, I like hugging. I want that. You just broke the Ten Commandments. Have you ever looked at a friend and said, uh, your girlfriend's hot? You broke the Ten Commandments. Have you ever looked at another friend and said, it would be so much better. Your, 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 your boyfriend, your girlfriend treats you like crap. It would be so much better if you dated me. I would treat you so well. If you ever thought that. And... Let's face it, the entire concept of love is based upon that. That's the Petrarch's poetry in the 1200s. That's exactly how love is invented. If you've ever done that, wouldn't it be better if you dated me instead of the loser you're dating? You have broke the Ten Commandments. You pissed God off. He made a rule, and you're not following it. Now, are you a bad person? No. No, I don't think so. And I don't think you think you're a bad person. Why? Because you live in the modern world. And the modern world doesn't live by the Ten Commandments. They are not the basis of American law. They're not the basis of any law. 
Israeli law does not put teenagers in jail for fighting with their parents over curfew. So you, we, so what happens is as time goes on, people in the law get further and further and further apart, which makes God mad. Which makes God mad, and we'll get to that. Because he gave you the law, and you're not listening to it. So what are the advantages of monotheism? Why would anyone want to be monotheistic? Well, you have the right God. That's pretty awesome. Which makes you the chosen people. See, this is this is the what the God you pick tells people about you. It's like going to prom. The person you go to prom with, especially if they're not well, even if they are a significant other, but the person you take to prom is your advertisement about how awesome you are. I went to a school where some of the guys brought escorts to prom. Why? Why? Well, because they had some money and they said, I am going to show up at this place with all everybody else's with someone so attractive. Everyone will think I am awesome. They were not dating this person. They showed up and people went, wait, who, who, who's that person? He wasn't dating anybody. And yet in comes a model. And so the idea is the same concept applies. The God you choose or who chooses you makes you shows the kind of people you are. If you have loser gods, you're a loser people. Especially in the ancient world. In, in when when you could pick, there's no like you could pick whatever god you want. If you're if you're if you're dating a loser god, loser gods, uh, you're a loser people. We talked about this with polytheism and war. So by having the right the top capital T capital H capital E right God, you are the chosen people. God cares about you. You are awesome. You are exceptional. And that is huge for an insignificant people. The Hebrews are insignificant. Remember that. They are nowhere near as rich or as old as the Egyptians are. And they are nowhere near as sophisticated and advanced as the Babylonians are. They are an insignificant people stuck in a world that is going to grind up their insignificance. This makes them exceptional. They, are the right, they have the right God they are the chosen people. God cares about them. So you're special. Two, they have holy books. You get a holy book. By having one God, you get a holy book. Why? Because this God cares about everything. So he's got to tell you all the things he cares about. So you get Moses' Ten Commandments. You get the books of right behavior. You get Leviticus. You get Deuteronomy which I know I pronounced wrong. But the idea is there are holy books, holy scriptures. There's communications. Polytheism, for the most part, does not have this. And yet, Judaism will have the Torah, and, and then the other books around it. Christianity will have the, go the Gospels and then the letters, and the books around them, the Gnostic Gospels and the various books that got cut out of the New Testament. Islam has the Quran and the Hadith. That there are holy books that tell you what the right behavior is. They tell you what the relationship is between you and this God. So you get holy books, which can make you illiterate people. Like the Hebrews are illiterate people. Why? Because they have holy books that they have to be able to read. Think about your bar mitzvah. Think about a bat mitzvah that you went to or you participated in if you are Hebrew or Jewish. The big thing that made you into an adult, you went in as a girl and you came out a woman. What happened? You read from a book. I mean, really? 
that's the difference between a child and an adult is you read out of the book but the answer is yes not only do you read you comprehend you understand or you try to understand well that makes you a literate person and that's important in the ancient world where 90 percent of people are illiterate the hebrews from the very beginning are literate people they're going to have much higher levels of literacy than anybody else this is going to be both good and bad in the middle ages because Christianity isn't a literate religion. It starts that way because it's based on Judaism, and then it keeps the Bible in Latin. And says, this is some complicated stuff. We're not going to just translate it to you and you idiots. And so in the Middle Ages, the literate people are priests, and then the small Jewish population in any town. Think about when you go to church, if you're a Christian, you have a people read to you the first reading, the second reading, and then the gospel. And then the priest or the minister explains the gospel to you, what you just read. So, you have holy books, which equal the right behavior, tell you how to live. Tell you your relationship with God. That's good. And third, number three, a super God plus loyalty plus worship equals rewards. And this is clearly Noah surviving the flood. This is Exodus being set free from slavery in Egypt, which never happened. But it doesn't matter. That it's the, the national mythos doesn't matter if it's historical. It's a mythos. It's a memory of the Bronze Age collapse and being on the move. But you get rewarded. This God will reward you, will save you, will help you. This God is on your side. He's going to wipe out all the earth? Not Noah. You can't have kids anymore? He can help you have kids. That's Abraham. He will reward you. Super God plus loyalty plus worship equals rewards. This God is on your side. This God supports you. So what are the disadvantages? The first is the very obvious one. In polytheism, multiple gods mean some God likes you and will protect you. Odysseus. Odysseus pisses off Poseidon, the sea god. And the sea god is going to drown him. I'm going to drown this guy. He blinded my son, the Cyclops. I'm going to kill him. And Athena goes, whoa, 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 wait. I like Odysseus. You're not going to do that. And he goes, Odysseus is on a boat on the ocean. I am going to kill him. And Athena says, how? I'm going to drown him. I'm going to dump him, give, put a storm on him, and he's going to fall into the ocean. I'm going to drown him. And Athena says, well, then I'm going to save him. I'm going to give him a dolphin that's going to prop him up over the waves. And Poseidon says, well, then I'm going to send a shark and eat that dolphin. And Athena says, that's great. All right, that's a little sick there, dude, but okay. Uh, I'm going to send a giant hawk to pick him up and get him out of the water. Like, we could do this all day. You're not drowning him. I am protecting him. And so the gods came to an agreement about that Odysseus basically would be sent from place to place to place. And Athena could try to get him home. But as but Poseidon couldn't drown him. Poseidon couldn't drown him. Athena, on the same time, couldn't just give him a hawk and send him back to Ithaca. And they come to an agreement. But Odysseus gets protection. All of his men, his 200 men, don't get that protection. They get drowned. They get, and mostly because they, they do stupid stuff. If they just listened to Odysseus, they would have been better off. But they do stupid stuff. Like open the, open the bag of wind and, and stuff. So how does this play for monotheism? Well, it plays for monotheism where there's only one God. So if this God is pissed at you, you got problems, man. That's Job. That's Cain. That's Adam and Eve. 
Adam and Eve, eat an apple or fig or peach, whatever it is. All they do, there's one rule. They break the rule. And what does God do? He says, I'm going to kill your descendants in childbirth and you got to bust your back laboring out of the earth. Like, dude, man, that's harsh. This God does not believe in timeout. This God didn't even give him a whooping. He threw him out of the house. Cain? He marks Cain. Like, oh, go through ever. Have the descendants that are also going to be marked. For, I mean, think about how angry that is. Noah is, he wipes out all the earth. I mean, if you, with one God on your side, as the old saying goes, if God is on our sides, who can be against us? Well, if God is against you, you got problems, man. There's no one to help you. The second disadvantage is the rules equal behavior. What happens when you change? Society changes. When I was a kid, marijuana was not legal. Now marijuana is legal. You can walk into a 7-Eleven. Well, not really a 7-Eleven. Not yet. But in Colorado, you can walk into a pot store, buy pot, walk out, go home, smoke up. It's the Big Lebowski. Actually, he... Well, no. I guess he does smoke marijuana. Anyway. It's fast times at Ridgemont High. But now you don't have to be, like, sneaky about it. It's like... When I was when I was a teenager, there were stoner movies about kids who were like breaking the rules, but they got high all the time and played video games. Like that's now life. Societies change, but the rules don't. So, so since the rules impact behavior, are totally about behavior, this is a moral god with moral rules. What happens when your society changes and you don't follow those behaviors? You change your behavior. That means you change the rules. You're breaking the rules. God gets mad. We already talked about this with teenagers, how they constantly are breaking the rules. And, and let's just take an aside right here. Boomers. People born between 1948 and 1964 hate millennials, right? Millennials ruin everything. You, you millennials suck, according to old people. That's okay. I'm a Generation Xer. We're such a small population, no one even cares about us. So, we're going to go from boomer, boomer president to a boomer president to an even older boomer president to a millennial president. We're just going to skip us. But millennials suck. Well, you have to remember who boomers were. Boomers were the drug-taking, long-haired, hippie communists who protested the Vietnam War, got high at Woodstock, believed in free love, and danced the disco. The, 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 their parents hated them. And everything boomers say about millennials, they're lazy, they're good for nothing, they don't know how to work. Their parents fought World War II and lived through a depression. You don't think they looked at their kids and said, look at all the shit you have? You live in the suburbs. We didn't even have a suburb. I had to live in a tenement. Twelve people to a room. You, you have your own bedroom and you're complaining? Every generation thinks the next generation is lazy, hedonistic, decadent, has no work ethic, just sucks. Every generation does that. Look at Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve have, have Cain and Abel. And what do they do? Cain kills Abel. I mean, come on. We're one generation in and already kids suck. You know, Adam and Eve are hanging out there be like, oh, kids today. 
you know, all we did was eat an apple. They murder each other. So every generation thinks the next generation sucks. Why? Because each generation changes the rules a little bit. They evolve. Society changes. So, number three. This is a major issue. Asterisk this, circle it, make it bold. Because this is a concept that only monotheism has to deal with. And number three is, why does evil exist? Polytheism doesn't have to deal with this. Polytheism has an easy answer. One, shit happens. Two, we have evil gods. Remember, our gods are like people, so they're selfish like people. They're angry like people. They're violent like people. We have trickster gods, Loki, in your favorite Avenger movies, or Set. We have gods of death. We have badass gods. Why? Because we have gods of every aspect of human existence. And since humans lie, cheat, and steal, we have at least one god who lies, cheats, and steals. Monotheism doesn't have that. Monotheism has one super moral God. So then why does evil exist? And the question is a philosophical quandary. Because if this God is all-powerful, then this God, and this God is good, then this God should stop evil from existing. So evil exists either because a good God wants evil to exist or is incapable of stopping evil from existing. Mind blown. But that's the concept. That's the problem monotheism has. The problem is bad shit happens. Now, I know your first example is going to be like, well, people are bad to each other. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about free will. We're not talking about human decisions. We're talking about leukemia in three-year-olds. We're not talking about somebody makes a decision that's going to be a bad decision that's going to hurt somebody. That's humans. We're talking about a hurricane that drowns an island. We're talking about leukemia for three-year-olds. We're talking about terrible, horrible stuff that exists in the everyday that there is no conceivable cause of. Now, I know hurricanes have a cause. It has to do with winds and has to do with the Sahara Desert. Uh, Yes, I know. But there's lots of evil in the world. There's lots of trauma in the world that isn't caused by a bad person choosing to do it. And that's our book of Job. There's an entire book in the Bible that deals with this. And there's, there's, there's the theory that it's actually pre-Hebrew. It's pre-monotheist. It's an, it's the, it's an old book. It's older than many of the books in that are going to be written in the 500s. They're going to be written down during the Babylonian captivity. That it's it's a Babylonian story. Um, and Job deals with this evil. The book of Job starts with God saying, Look at Job. He does nothing wrong. He is awesome. So we know because people's first thing, I I give this lecture on Job. And even when I get to the end, I go, why did something bad happen to Job? People go, well, he was a bad guy. Like, no, no. That is the, you have to remember. God says, Jehovah said, well, Yahweh says, not Jehovah yet. Yahweh says, Job is good. The whole book, 
Because if Job does anything bad, then you could blame it on Job. Job is good. You can't blame Job. That's the whole point of this book. That's why the book of Job is one of the great books of the Bible. Why well, it's the great, one of the great books of human literature. Because it starts with the positive declaration that Job is not at fault. Job is good. And God says so himself. You want to say Job is bad, then you're calling God a liar, and that's your problem. And so, Job starts life great, and then bad things happen to him. Why? Because Yahweh and Satan have a bet. Satan comes up and says, look, of course he's good. You've given him everything. You keep rewarding him. Take away his stuff, he'll, he'll curse you. His faith is weak. And God says, all right, do it. Bet. This is like trading spaces. Or train places. The Eddie Murphy movie from the 80s. Let's have a bet. Typical bet. One dollar. And Satan kills his family, his businesses. And Job doesn't reject God. And Satan and God says, God gets all prideful and says, oh, look at that. That's my Job. Job's awesome. See, I told you. And Satan goes, look, but I didn't do anything to his body. Let me make things come out of it that are gross. Let me do things to his skin. You'll see. And God says, all right, you're on. Bet two. And so we get a Job fallen into his own filth. And Job goes, what did I do? Where have I done wrong? Show me and I will be quiet. He is perfectly saying, if I did something wrong, tell me what I did wrong and I will accept my punishment. I am, it is fine for me to be punished. Tell me what I did wrong. Show me and I will be quiet. But do not judge me falsely for my righteousness is intact. He says, I have done nothing wrong. I didn't do anything. Because three dudes, four dudes, three dudes, his good friends show up and go, Job, obviously you did something wrong. Obviously God's mad at you. Obviously God doesn't just punish people for no reason. You did something wrong. It's like, I didn't do anything wrong. Tell me. If you can tell me what I did wrong, I will accept my punishment. I will shut up my righteousness but I am a righteous person and I've done right. Now, this is where people kind of like tweak it and be like, oh, you see, he's prideful. He thinks he's done nothing wrong. And so that's wrong that he thinks he does nothing wrong. But remember our first sentence. Job is good. God said so. Job has said nothing wrong. And so, what happens, though, is, is Job says, no, I've done nothing wrong. You, and he says, at God, you owe me an explanation. Why? Why are you treating me this way? What did I do? You, tell, show me your justice. What did I do? And God pops up. God reveals himself. God comes down. It is one of the most dramatic moments in the entire Bible where God appears in the whirlwind, in a tornado, in a hurricane. Now notice, God doesn't appear as a shaggy dog. God doesn't appear as an old friend or an old, uh, an old friend or his mother. He doesn't come in kindness. God comes in power. A whirlwind, the tornado, the hurricane. He comes in anger and in fury. And then Yahweh gives the longest speech in 
the Old Testament. Because the longest speech God ever gives in the Old Testament. It's like 150, 170 lines. It's magisterial. It's the longest speech that God ever speaks in the entire Bible. And what is it? It's power. How dare you judge me? How dare you question my authority? How dare you? Who are you to ask about my justice? Were you there at the start of the universe? Were you there where I separated the land from the oceans? Were you there when I made the mountains? I'm sorry. I didn't look around. I didn't see you. He comes in power. Job has asked for justice. Job has asked that God explain his punishment like a judge. Yahweh has come in power and has try, is trying to change the subject. Now, why? Because he's caught. God got stuck. Job called him out on his shit. God made a deal with Satan, and Satan's nowhere around. Notice Satan does not pop up at the end. Satan is nowhere around. And Job says, you are a just God, and you are not acting justly. And he's right. And he's right. Yahweh got caught. Because Job didn't give in. Because Job didn't accept his punishment. Because Job protested for justice. And didn't submit to power. And so what God does is come in power. Because he can't come as justice. He can't come and say, look, this is why you did, this is what you did wrong. Because we know God said in the first line, look at Job, he is good. He hasn't done anything wrong. Again, we're back to that first line. We always go back to that. So God reveals himself in power. And his 150 lines are about power. And how dare you question me? You, you insignificant nothing. I am older than the universe. Who are you? You live maybe 50 years. Who cares about you? You're dust and ash. I made you. I don't have to ask your permission. And then comes Job's response. And um, Job says, Oh, okay. I see. And he says a line that has basically been translated as, You know, I heard a lot about you, and now I finally see you. I see with my own eyes what you are. Now, that's a that's not a direct quote. But it's, I heard about how powerful you are. I heard about you. And now I see you. And I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm not going to say anything anymore. I'm going to shut my mouth. I get it. I'm just dust and ash. You're right. Now, the typical 90% of the time explanation for this, most people take through history is Job submits. Job submits to power. He realizes he's insignificant, that God is awesome, and that he shouldn't question God. God has a plan, so shut up. You don't have to understand it. He doesn't owe you an explanation. But see, I teach 20-year-olds. And the language of 20-year-olds is sarcasm. If you've ever dealt with a 20-year-old, the language of teenagers is sarcasm. And I am not alone in this. Um, I get this from a book called God, a Biography by Jack Miles. 
It, it won a Pulitzer for biography. You should read it. It comes out of that chapter. But there's a long tradition of philosophers who go, yeah, he submits. But what if he's sarcastic? What if what he's saying is not really what he means? Like, he says, I heard of you. Well, the God he heard of, the God he constantly talks about, is a just God. We have the we have all of the chapters before that where where Job keeps talking about justice. So he goes, I heard of you. Yeah, I, I heard of you. You're a just God. And now I see you. And remember, God does not come in justice. He comes in power. So he goes, I, I heard of you. In, in parentheses, a just God. And now I see you're not. Now I see you for all you are. And all you are is another powerful God who can't even follow his own rules. Like, there is a part. So he goes, I'll oh, shut up. I, I'm not going to complain anymore. You're right. Because what, what am I finding? I'm finding a God who's, you are not my God. You are not the right God. You are not who you said you were. You're a hypocrite. If you turn what is on the page just into sarcasm, you don't have to change the words. Just take it. Turn into sarcasm of a guy who sees the wizard behind, the, the man behind where the wizard should be, behind the curtain. He sees power, but he's never asked for power. Job never questions God's power. He's asking about justice. And so there is, and there are several philosophers who take this idea that what if Job is sarcastic? That he understands the true nature of God, and it's not what the God he was looking for. Now, what happens is they drop the question. They drop it. God lets Job just drop it. They change the topic. God says to Job, I reward you. I'm going to give you seven times what you ever had before. I'm going to buy you off. And I'm going to punish all the people who ever said you were wrong, that you were bad. Like, the people who said, God God is just, God doesn't just punish people for no reason. Job, you did something wrong. They got punished. And you can imagine in that moment, they're like, wait, WTF, I was on your side. I was defending you. And now you're going to punish me? And he, and God's answer is, yes, because you questioned that Job was bad. And Job isn't bad. And then God goes away. And in the Jewish Bible, in the Jewish chronological or in the Jewish order of books, God never speaks again. God never appears. God never talks to man. God never appears in the Bible as a character again. People talk about him, but he doesn't appear. And that's crazy. Now, Christians will change the order of stuff and all that. So if you open up your, your New Testament, things are different. But if you read the, the Jewish books, this is the last time God speaks in the Jewish works. And why does that matter? Because the Jewish books are God's story. They start with him saying, let there be light. They start with him. And their, his relationship with earth and with people. And now God is silent. This is where we get uh, um, Tony Kushner's uh, Angels in America. What if God takes a vacation and doesn't come back? How does the universe run without God? And if God does take a vacation, doesn't come back, what caused that? Job caused that. Job called him out on hypocrisy. 
and God doesn't appear again in his own story. Which is crazy. I mean, it, it should blow your mind. So, polytheism doesn't have to deal with this. Monotheism does. And monotheism, Job does not have an answer. That's the, that's, the, that's the brilliant part of the book. There is no answer. Why does evil exist? Because it does. It's a bet. It, it just does exist. There is no satisfying answer. God doesn't have one. Job doesn't have one. It doesn't end with a nice, neat package. It ends with the two groups, humans and God, deciding to not talk about it anymore. To letting it go. That at best, Job submits to the power of God. Evil exists because it does. And it's God's plan. At worst, it's because God can't stop evil from existing. That evil has to exist. That you can't have good without evil. And you can't have evil without good because you, you don't know what good is unless there is an evil. It's, it's why there to have a heaven, you need to have a hell. Because if heaven is awesome, well, then, then you have to have something that's not awesome. Otherwise, the, the heaven is normal. It doesn't matter. Notice that phil polytheism doesn't have to deal with this stuff. This is a philosophical depth that monotheism forces people to have to deal with. That polytheism just doesn't. And the amount of words, the amount of brain power that has gone into the Job question, both why does evil exist, but also why does God stop talking, is millions of words, years of thought. Some of the biggest minds in human history have questioned this. Polytheism doesn't care. In our next topic, we will deal with politics. We're going to create a great empire. Well, not an empire. We're going to create a great country. We're going to conquer other Canaanite peoples. And then we're going to be destroyed. But from that destruction, the Hebrews will become the Jews. And they will rise like Obi-Wan, stronger as a culture than anyone could possibly imagine. Thank you.